Thank you for joining us on another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast with your co-host, Kirk. Hello, hello. I am your other co-host, Cam. My headphones thing keeps getting caught on the uh, on the chair, oh, so that's that, 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 got to rectify that. Oh. Whew, that was almost a fatal fatal mistake there. That could have jeopardized the whole whole production. All of a sudden, it just jerks your neck out of frame. I'm telling you, it's dangerous <laughs> stuff that we're dealing with here. This, you think this is easy? This is it gets scary sometimes. You gotta. We have insurance strictly for podcasting. It's yeah, it's that like those, specific. It's like when Troy Polamalu, the football player with the really long hair, got insurance on his hair, like million dollar insurance policy because he had like a deal with Head and Shoulders. Yeah. So like, if anything ever happened to his hair, he would at least have like some some money back that's that's basically what i need for my like neck or something so in case my in case my cord yanks me out of my chair and i fall and die um, that's right these are the things that you specific have to think sequence about. if you fall out in a different way you're yes. not covered right. and you lose everything that's right that's right oh just gosh. just for that just for that variation because it's very common it's more common than you would think yeah um but enough about that Thank you so much for being here. We're excited to be here as well. We're we're uh, you know on the stream. We've got a lot of good fun stuff this week. Um, if you're listening in podcast form, you you already have heard some fun stuff this week because we dropped our what if uh, Marvel Studios what if episode four recap and analysis, and that was the best episode of the show so far by both of our estimations. Right, Kurt? Yes, yeah. that is correct. Yeah, best voice acting, best story it was it was well structured it was well formulated and there was plenty there was plenty of fun little nuggets for us to to dive into so we really got into it on that so if you haven't listened to that that dropped today be sure to go check that out but this week both on the stream and in the two podcasts that the stream will become we've got a lot of fun stuff we've got it's film festival season where we're kind of like i've said over the last couple weeks we're transitioning to fall which means we're transitioning out of well Normally, it would mean we're transitioning out of blockbuster film season, but because of what 2021 has turned into, we're kind of getting this hybrid, uh, like, blockbuster slash award season thing going on. So it's kind of funny. I feel like every week for the rest of the year, we're going to be bouncing back and forth between, like, giant franchise and then, like, awards contender and then, like, giant Mm -hmm. franchise again and then, like, another, like, indie awards contender. So it's going to be... A weird year, but the film festivals are here. We had Venice and uh, Telluride going on last week with lots of different highlights from both of those festivals, which are pretty pretty big. We've got um, our first look at the Matrix uh, Resurrections, which is exciting. The trailer is coming on Thursday, so we won't get too far into it, but I do want to talk about a couple of things of what we've seen. And we're reviewing the number one movie in America, which of course is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And I say America. No, the number one movie worldwide uh, to the tune of $100 million plus million. Here in the U.S., it did $71.4 million during its typical three-day weekend. And then if you, if you tack on the Monday of Labor Day weekend, it did $90 million, which smashes yes. the previous Labor Day record because Labor Day is not really... Um, a weekend that has been coveted by by film studios in the past, so the record wasn't very high to begin with. But given the fact that it's pandemic, $90 million over four days is a huge, huge performance. And Kirk and I went to check that out. So we we're going to be chatting about that. And then we're going to do something we love to do and something hopefully you guys love too, which is to 
take off our critic hat and put on our fanboy hat and say, all right, now we've reviewed Shang-Chi. Let's talk about what it means for the MCU, which I'm very, very excited about. Mm-hmm. Should be a good time. Kirk, wouldn't you agree? I would agree. I would definitely agree. Yeah, it's something that I regret not doing for Black Widow. I think we get the pass a little bit. I'm going to give us the pass a little bit because Black Widow was like it was a new phase four movie, but it also was like set in the past about a character who in the franchise is dead and has limited ties to the future of phase four outside of, you know, Yelena. So Mm -hmm. that's why we, that's why we didn't do it, but I do kind of regret it a bit, but I don't know. Maybe I'm being too too easy on us, Kirk. I don't know. You know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of combat fighting that happened from the Red Room um, survivors. And that's what we're calling them, I think. And you know, Shang Chi, all about the fighting, all about the kung fu. So Very I think much. there's some crossover in how they will match up in some future films. But you have to stick around to the review, kiddos. Wait till the review episode and listen to that drop where we will speculate. We'll throw in some Black Widow. Why not? Yeah, we'll do I mean, it. sure, sure. Whatever. We'll do it all. We'll, we'll talk about all of it. There's so much Marvel content coming out right now and so much more to come out before the end of the year that we have to talk about it. We really do. Yes. Um, so I'm excited about that. And I have also discovered something that is just horrifyingly addictive. And I shared this with you over the weekend, Kirk, but that is going through Letterboxd and mm. adding films that you've watched to the watched column and Mm -hmm. conversely films you haven't watched, but you want to watch to your watch list. It is a black hole that is among the deepest and most addicting in the entire interwebs. I honestly believe it is. Yeah. I mean, there's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's TikTok, and then there's the letterbox ladies and gentlemen. I mean, Often, uh, often I've wanted to document what I've seen, but I have not gotten on your level yet, Cam. I, I've done it for a few minutes, and then I'm like, "All right, well, that was a good, a good uh, chunk." But we've both seen so many movies that it may take the rest of our lives to recoup what we've already consumed and forward. I mean, that's yeah, that's just frightening to me. It's frightening. Something that's really haunting me right now is that I just know in my heart that. No matter how long I spend doing this, it will never be complete because there will be films that I saw when I was a child that I didn't know that I saw or don't remember or even films that I saw in high school, college that I don't totally remember just because that's kind of how that is. Right now, just with the movies that I know I've seen and I haven't even done all of them, I'm up to a thousand. Wow, films. that's 400 more than you were on Monday. I know, that's this impressive. is what I'm talking about, Kirk. It takes it takes up so much of my life. Just boom, watched, watched, watched. And I keep watching movies. I've watched, um, I can't remember the number. I've watched at least 58 movies this year so far. Yeah. Um, I think that number is probably low, uh, just spitballing it. But it's a, it's a sickness, but the best kind of sickness. And yes. I saw somebody tweet that, Instead of um, doing like a scrapbook for your kids and spending your time on that, you should create a letterboxed account for your kids and chrono- like chronicle every single film they've ever seen and then give that to them as a gift when they, when they become of age. You go, here you go. Here's every movie Ooh. you've ever seen in your life. 
And you know what we could also do? We could take their notes on their review and review it as them. <laughs> yeah, just use <laughs> verbatim. Like, interview them after they watch it. Like, what did you think of that film? Loved then, Bugs Bunny, you know. <laughs> yeah. Space Jam 2. Or, like, if they're even younger, like, just the gibberish. You're just like, mm-hmm. Got it. Going to call that three stars. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's addicting. It's addicting for sure. And I also think that I committed the cardinal sin of all cinephiles last night by watching Raging Bull on my iPad. I was like, I was like, nobody tell Martin Scorsese that I did this. Nobody tell him. I think, I think I'll be sentenced to like the film aficionados version of Azkaban prison for, for that. Yes. Like that's just not allowed. Well, I hate to tell you this. Uh, he already knows. There oh yeah. I'm sure. System that he uses on how things are consumed and he's probably sending someone your way. Actually, I think he's sending Robert De Niro to box the crap out of you. I would what be, I think is you happening. know, I, I'd be okay with that because I saw the scene where him and Joe Pesci are punching each other in the oh, face. Man. And I was like, yeah, let's go. I, I could use a little bit, a little bit of that in my life, to be honest with you. <laughs> little inspiration. Like, come on, you got it. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. I think Mark, I think Marty knows, I think he can sense it. I think he can smell it in the air and he just, yeah. you know, it's like a disturbance. He's like, oh, something's not right. You know, he, <laughs> he can feel he's it. He's eating a salad. <laughs> <laughs> he drops his fork and he sprints out of the room. He's like, somebody just watched one of my films on a screen that wasn't the optimal resolution. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is not okay. Uh, but maybe he will be okay because the Irishman came out on Netflix, but, um, you know, don't tell like Denis Villeneuve or anything or Christopher Nolan. Right. Those guys will right. those guys will straight murder me. So anywho, let's move on. Let's talk about everything that's going on in film and TV news, Kirk, if you want to get into it. I do want to get into it. Let's pop it up. Let's pop it up. Well, unfortunately, Kirk, I do have to start on a sad note because we mentioned it um we mentioned Ed Asner's passing in passing um, when we were talking about what if briefly because of the day that it happened. We didn't really get a chance to talk about it on the podcast, but we lost another TV legend, uh, Mr. Michael K. Williams, uh, yes. just just uh, yesterday. So he was only 54 years old, of course, um, an iconic actor who had who has played some of the most like. I don't want to use iconic again, but really like characters that have come to life in TV from The Wire, Omar Little. Uh, he was in Boardwalk Empire. He's, he's nominated for an Emmy for his performance in Lovecraft Country. Just one of those actors that really, I don't know, the best way to describe it is you see Michael K. Williams come on the screen in a TV show and you're like, oh yes, here we go. We're, this is going to be a treat. You know, it, just somebody who... You know, you get these actors who stick in TV, and Ed Asner was kind of the same way, you know, was more of yeah. a, more in the TV realm. And I think a lot of people would look at that and say, like, oh, maybe they weren't good enough to break into film, you know? And I, and I would say no, because I think TV acting is, in a way, so different, you know? There's a lot of people who stay in the TV realm, and those lines have blurred as TV has modernized over the years. But, you know, to build a character over time excruciatingly to spend so much time with it and to um you know really bring them to life episode after episode after episode it is difficult to do and and to really like you have to connect with them on a different level than if you're just filming a movie and i think that's what both of these guys both ed asner and michael k williams did so well i mean omar little 
Talk about a character that just, that's why The Wire was so revolutionary, right? It was giving a voice to characters that just would have never had it uh, before. And, you know, taking something that you would say, that guy's a bad dude. But then if you look at the the code of honor, you, you know, it's just that performance and the way that they drew that up was just magical. And um, it wouldn't have been possible without Michael K. Williams. Yeah, he's he's a baller. He's a legend. Uh, I was recently playing back, dabbling in some Boardwalk Empire. I've, I've finished season one of The Wire. Um, I've seen uh, he was in a little movie called Triple Nine, which has uh, it's about corrupt corrupt police officers. Uh, I think it's a heist movie, and they basically kill a cop, which is a, the Triple Nine code, in order to pull the heist off. And I mean, he's just he's just so good in everything he does, and he he puts different flares on every different character to to make them grounded, to make them uh, impactful. Like there's there's not a single performance that you walk away and you don't uh, gravitate towards him. So uh, very sad, very sad. Uh, the the re- the reason for his death is not completely solid out there just yet. So we'll come we'll know more about that in the coming days. But he had two movies in production, um, post actually three. Uh, a, ser- a TV series, uh, a film called Surrounded, and a show called uh, 892, or, or a film. Uh, so yeah, all and he like had a TV in- series that was almost done for Vice, like the second season. He has a Vice yes. TV series that was that was just about done. So, yes. Yeah, so um, all of those will, you know, it's it, it's it's so bittersweet. You you get excited because you get to see these posthumous performances but at the same time you know there's nothing else and he was only 54 i believe was his age so very sad very sad yeah and i think you know we as fans we don't we don't know these people personally so you have to rely on what you see and the outpouring of support for michael k williams uh specifically with that being the most recent one but also ed asner you know you can tell the character of these people just by the way that other people in the field talk about them and and people who only briefly worked with Michael K. Williams, just gushing about what a, you know, positive force he was and and what an influential person he was on set. Um, so it's, it sucks. It really does. Um, but you know, the wire boardwalk empire, things like that. Uh, obviously all of Ed Asner's great performances, uh, even, you know, I was watching Doug Days the other day, the new the new Pixar series with uh, Carl and and Doug from Up, and we we will have those things forever. But like you said, it's just it's not the same. It's not the same knowing that that's that's the end. So, uh, you know, the Emmys are coming up in a few days, uh, like a week and a half from now. I'll actually mm-hmm. be out of town for the Emmys, but expecting a nice. Um, and actually looking forward to the tribute that both of those guys will get because it's it's well deserved for sure right all right moving right along to our typical movie and tv news we we have you know some of the same things that we've had we've had some, some movie dates reshuffling we'll talk about that but also some pretty interesting stories um i want to talk about this one first we got a trailer for a film that's coming to Peacock called My Son, and it stars James McAvoy and Claire Foy. The kicker with this concept is that they are claiming that James McAvoy gave a completely improvised performance for this movie, meaning he was the only cast member in the production to not be handed a script and to completely make up his lines on the fly. 
And what's interesting is that he is the main character. The show or the movie is about his son being kidnapped. And so he is learning the information about the, you know, it's, it's basically like a crime drama. He's learning the information about the case as we are, uh, the, the viewers. So this is wacky, Kirk, but I have to get your thoughts. Like you and I both love James McAvoy. We've talked about it a lot. Yes. We think he's very underrated. His ceiling is high in terms of his ability as an actor. What do you think about this undertaking? I think this is every actor's playground dream or nightmare or both, uh, because you have to be someone who loves improv. You have to be someone who is a very good listener. Uh, and as an actor, that's what you do the most. You listen to what someone else is giving you so you can respond accordingly and effectively. Uh, I think James McAvoy is the right person to do it. It's got to be so perfectly crafted because you have to be able to drive drive him towards the end goal give him all the pieces but also throw in the red herrings but not have like just his mind jumbled right uh i can only imagine james mcavoy had like a, a little corner offset that just had the, the red yarn on the bulletin board like connecting the dots and taking notes uh, i'll be interested if he was able to you know, like keep a notepad on set, like if that's part of his characterization as he's trying to put the pieces together. Because I believe it's a, uh, a someone has died in his family. I, I believe. I think he gets like the prompt, like this: "This is you. This is your name. This is what's essentially happened." Yeah, his Go. son has been kidnapped. That's the prompt. his son is kidnapped. Yeah, and that's it. So um, all the rest, he just has to hear. Yeah, from like other in the trailer, it looks like at some point he's a he's a suspect, which. You know, you would expect in a missing persons case that, you know, the parents are typically put under right. a microscope at some point. So it's very interesting. You know, every once in a while you get these projects that roll around that have something gimmicky to them. I think about like Bandersnatch. I think about, you know, these films that are made where it's like, what was the one recently where it was like a stage performance and they did it, they like filmed it live and then Hamilton. released it? No. Uh, they like it was in theaters live and there were like no cuts no nothing no no editing it was just like but it was a movie I can't remember Um, but you know these like one shot films there's always these different concepts Uh, the thing they did on Quibi where it's like sometimes you have to turn your phone you know and you wonder like will any of these ever break through and be the next like cool thing that people can do or is this even something that can be replicated in a way that feels authentic and and interesting um but this has potential i'm very curious i will be a little bit of a stinker on this idea because it's a film and they're obviously cutting they're not just taking the first take every time so i would say this idea that it's like yes it is technically a fully improvised performance because he is creating his own dialogue from scratch, his own reactions, his own stage directions, all of it. He's not in the screenplay, but like he probably gets a few shots to deliver lines, you know, and, and maybe if he hates the way he reacted the first time, they'll cut and do a different one. So like, not to be that guy, but, but I'm just maybe saying there like, were rules. Yeah. That, that's there could have been that's rules. True. There could have been rules. I was, I was going to ask, like, do you think there was a situation where it's like, whatever you deliver, like that's the line. We we can we can cut it and take another take at that line, but like that's the line. Like you're you're married to it as soon as it comes out of your mouth. Right. I right. want to. I believe. 
I believe so. I believe so. I don't think, yeah, I don't think he can do different versions of it, right? So if he, uh, if he stuttered the the word, um, you know, where are my French fries? I don't know. If whatever sentence he says, and then he says, okay, great, you can say that again, but you have to say those exact words. I don't think that would be allowed. I think it has to be genuinely whatever happens, that's it. So there has to be more camera tricks. There has to be multiple cameras that, uh, and lots of scenes that are filmed before James McAvoy walks on set too, yeah. right? So that they can get those options and out of the way in rehearsals and James McAvoy's there to just listen and have his mind blown. Can you imagine what that scene looks like at the <laughs> epiphany of whatever the climax is? Like, yeah. is he going to be screaming? Is he going to be jumping for joy? Like, I'm, I'm just so excited about this. It's such a fun concept. It is a fun concept and we won't have to wait long to see it. So it's called My Son for anybody who's interested by this. It's called My Son. Uh, the incomparable Claire Foy. I don't know if I mentioned her, but she's also in this project. I love her. Um, it's on Peacock, September 15th, which is only a week a week and change from date of recording. So, yeah, so I will finally be getting my free trial to Peacock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or you can just come over to my house and we can check it out. Uh, Maybe. Uh, we'll have to have a viewing party. I'm, I'm very interested, and I'm mostly interested for the behind the scenes afterwards. Like, I, I want all of it. I want all of the content. It's going to be fun. Okay, next up... We had a couple of release date shuffles. Paramount, man, Paramount. They they got cold feet on their entire 2021 lineup. And I think if my, not math, but if my reading and comprehension is correct, Paw Patrol, the movie, will be the only Paramount release to hit theaters this year of their 2021 slate because Top Gun Maverick, which was originally slated to release in November, I believe, has been pushed all the way back to May 27th of 2022. And if that date sounds familiar, it's because that was the original release date for Mission Impossible 7, which by default has now been pushed back even farther to September 30th, 2022. Um, Jackass the movie also pushed back, which is a Paramount movie as well. So I don't think that one's releasing in 2022 either. So Paramount just said, Screw it. <laughs> 2021, we're out. We'll see you guys next year. Yeah. And I, I and don't... I shed many, many not silent tears, loud tears for, for the loss of Mission Impossible. The fact that I will have to wait an additional, what is that, four months to see this movie, it's not, it's not okay. I've been looking forward to it for so long, and I am very sad, very sad about it. I mean, not to be morbid, but, you know, we only have limited time on this earth as well. And... I mean, at some point... <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> clock runs out, right? I mean, no one so knows. Will, will we leave, live to see these? I hope so. <laughs> I but know. come on. That's that's ridiculous. Come Listen, on, Paramount. As long as we survive to October 8th to finally see No Time to Die, I think we can all agree that, that <laughs> that's a win. That's a win for everything that we've been through. I will be... Uh, I think standing a standing ovation whether that movie absolutely bombs or not. <laughs> because... The, the hype for that movie is just so unreal. I just, uh, I, I really, I feel for the <laughs> producers, for the actors, for the director. That's just got to be such stress. They were the first ones and here we come. But yeah, I'll be jumping up and down for that We've one We've talked as well. about it before, just as conceptually, but like, uh, just imagine if No Time to Die just sucks. Like, <laughs> just objectively a massive stinker <laughs> of a yeah, movie. I'm gonna, I cannot... I'm I'm going to wear um, Obi-Wan Kenobi's cloak. And if it's terrible, I'm going to scream at the screen. You are the chosen one. Yeah. You were supposed to destroy the pandemic, not make it worse. 
Yeah, that's right. And yeah, it'd be so sad. But let's let's get that negative energy out of here. It's going to be right. fantastic. It's going to be so great. It's going to be great. All right, moving on. This one is very interesting. We're going to be talking a lot of Marvel today. This this is a, one of those Marvel stories that is not just the run of the mill. You know, we get a new Marvel story every week. So and so has been cast, or this movie's on the way, or whatever. This one's interesting. The Russo brothers were reportedly, and this is according to Wall Street Journal, the Russo brothers were reportedly in discussions with Marvel to return to direct another film. But those discussions reached an impasse as a result of the Scarlett Johansson saga. They are now at a point where they cannot decide if they will return or not, and those, those talks have come to a halt. So first of all, the Russo brothers were talking about returning, which, for those of you who have been listening closely, the only movie they said they, or the movie they have said they would return to direct is Secret Wars. So, Secret Wars confirmed? Question mark. I don't know. Like, kind of, maybe. Was almost confirmed. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But then the fact that the ScarJo saga is is featuring, and I hate to keep calling it that because it's obviously a two-way street, but she's the name on the lawsuit, so we, we're going to call it that. Um, the fact that that's factoring into it makes you wonder, you know, they have worked with her previously, so there's a personal relationship there, so maybe it doesn't affect future projects, future directors, whatever, but it does make you wonder just, like, how long this thing is going to linger and and at what point Disney's like, listen, we got we to gotta cut bait. We have to just save face and save our business and get out of this thing. Right, because their their uh, halt is because of ScarJo. They are supporting her and they're saying, listen, we were going to return. However, this troubles us because if you're willing to do that to her, who else are you willing to do it to? I mean, you know, ScarJo's a household name. She is one of the coolest nicknames uh, in the history of of time. So why would you do that to her? Who else are you going to throw under the bus? And, and the treatment, as we talked about, as we discussed, the uh, the the way they went about it, their, their yeah. tact was just very poor and very emotional, uh, emotional anger coming out from the new CEO. Uh, not pretty, not pretty. But that's, that is a bummer. Um, I was hoping that was a rumor article. It is not. Uh, I want the no. Russo brothers back. I know, I know. It's, it's interesting. And... I don't know. I continue to think Disney needs to play it really safe here because the other thing you keep hearing is that Feige, Kevin Feige has not been happy with this, that he pushed hard for Black Widow to not be moved to a Disney Plus premiere as well as in theaters because he was concerned about the optics of, you know, a female-led movie going to Disney Plus. He was right. That didn't look great. Um, Then you have all this fallout on top of that. He is not happy about the way that they're handling it. Now, let's not get ahead of ourselves. There is there is absolutely not even a rumble of Kevin Feige leaving Disney or leaving Marvel or anything. But I'm just saying, like, actions have consequences. And yes. it you know, maybe it's not this incident, but if things compound, those are the types of things that can push people away. And Marvel has such a stellar rep- reputation in the industry that they need to make sure it doesn't get messed up by Disney, by by, you know, the mouse. So, um, it's you know continues to be something interesting to keep an eye on for sure all right next up film festivals we talked about it at the beginning but i just wanted to do a quick roundup so we had venice which is 
you know, the big papa with the big mappa. I mean, the Venice Film Festival is always one of the biggest, you know, there's Cannes, there's there's Venice, there's Sundance, Telluride, obviously a great festival in its own right, but we're talking about some huge, huge movie premieres at the Venice Film Festival, most notably Dune, Dune, which premiered at the Venice Film Festival, and reports out of Venice are that it received a seven-minute standing ovation, which... You get these stories <laughs> for the film festival. It's so weird how the, like these things catch on. So like, I don't know. Like, is seven minute better than five minute, or is it just that like people's internal clocks are set differently? Like, I want to be the guy who's like, listen, there's gonna be a standing ovation, maybe <laughs> if if they like it. So Sean, you're gonna be timing it. So I don't know if he's got his Apple Watch or yeah, if he's you want to be like the his... you want to be the ovation stopwatch recorder. <laughs> Hey, listen, if that's how you and I get in for free, I'm down. Listen, like we yeah, all... exactly. It's like being the ball boy at the U.S. Open. <laughs> like, if I have to chase down tennis balls to get in the room, like, so be it. We'll do Who whatever cares? it takes. It's a workout, and I'm there. Let's go, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pitch that email uh, today for getting ready for next year. I really... will be your stopwatch timers <laughs> yes, for standing we'll over. we just start we sending want... the emails out. We want accuracy. We we don't want any false information out there because the, every every big movie there's like six of them there is. standing ovation. Time there is, box. and and here's the other thing. I want to go back and compare. I want to do like a, a line graph that shows correlation <clears throat> yeah. between like Rotten Tomatoes critic score and standing ovation length at the Venice Film Festival to see mm-hmm. if it does correlate or if it's actually a misnomer. Like it's right, actually it? it's a, like inverse. reverse. Yeah, inversely correlated. <laughs> yes. The longer the standing ovation, the worse the movie is uh, it's it's incredibly dumb but i hope that it means that dune is great because i'm excited to see that one um also and and, and again we're, we're gonna see all these movies and review them so i don't want to go too far i try not to learn too much but people are gushing critics are gushing over Kristen stewart's performance as princess diana they're calling her an oscar front runner they're calling her you know for sure a nominee uh, contender for for her performance and uh, the film Spencer has been decently well reviewed just on the quick tweet reviews that I've seen so far flashing across my timeline um, and then another one that premiered that that wasn't I feel like I didn't have as much buzz in my timeline about it but it was there was Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho so I haven't seen anything bad about that movie I've you know seen good things about Thomas and McKenzie's performance and Anya Taylor-Joy's performance, etc. But not the same level of, I mean, there was so much, I don't know if you were on Twitter over the weekend, but so yeah. much Dune, 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 Dune all over the place. So um, it'll be interesting. And that one's coming up fast. October 22nd is the release date there. For now. For now. You have to put a little asterisk <laughs> next to everything. Sure, for now. Um, Telluride, like I said, smaller one. But I think that the talk of the town at Telluride was Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, which is a, you know, sort of a, a black and white, um, semi-autobiographical, I guess, type of film. Kirk, I know Kenneth Branagh's your guy, so you're probably stoked to hear this. But um, it, it seemed to be pretty well received from the film festival. Uh, Kenneth Branagh, born and raised in Belfast, Ireland. The movie yeah. is called Belfast. He says he's been working on this movie for 40 plus years. It's his life, and I'm going to study it. <laughs> like my life depends on it because I'm it, so excited. What if it bombs, Kirk? What if it's terrible? It can't because Kenneth <laughs> Branagh can do no wrong. He can do no wrong. He's infallible. <laughs> All right, Kirk, I'm with you. Um, November 12th for for Belfast to release widely. So 
Kirk will be first in line. I'm, I'm certain of it. It'll be a good one. So yeah, that's what's going on in film festivals. We'll keep you guys posted as those kind kind of develop. Again, don't want to read too much into those early reactions because a lot of it's politicking and marketing and things like that. And also, I just want to get eyes on the movie before I declare that it's good. So um, we'll keep you guys posted. And then uh, the last real story that we have is that Phoebe Waller-Bridge has exited the Mr. and Mrs. Smith series that she was developing with Donald Glover for Amazon Studios. And that's coming from The Hollywood Reporter. And reportedly, the exit is due to creative differences that her and Donald Glover... Donald Glover had the idea, pitched it to Phoebe Waller-Bridge. They were on board. They were going to co-star in it. And then somewhere along the creative process, she decided, not working out. Let's go. And they are good friends. That's expected to still be intact. There's not you know, too many... Uh, inner details about things they were in solo a star wars story together so that's sort of where that relationship came together but she's exiting the show her role is being recast and they're saying it's still on track for a 2022 release i am concerned i'm concerned concerned (laughs) about this i i love both of them i think phoebe waller bridge is an incredible writer and i was actually more excited knowing that she was going to be involved in the creative process for this show. So now that she's exiting due to creative differences, I'm like, I don't know. I I think that it's uh, exciting to see two very different artists, two very different performers, two very different writers come together to see what happens. But maybe this is a classic case of it's impossible because they both are very Um, I I don't know them, but I would assume they're both very proud people. They've done some pretty remarkable things in a short amount of time. And I think that there's no, there's not enough room in that writer's room and in that studio to encompass that and to allow for both people to get their way. I mean, yeah, the the reality is they're both exceptionally intelligent, intelligent Mm -hmm. and gifted. I mix those two words together, but intelligent and gifted writers. So they get involved with the project. They have a clear vision. You know, that's how I see it. It's just exactly what you're saying. And so even if those visions are one degree apart, as they go down the path, you know, it's going to spread farther and farther until the point where it just doesn't make sense anymore. So, yeah, I think it's totally possible that this can be amicable. I think it's totally possible that this show could still be very good under, you know, just Donald Glover's creative direction. Um, But I was excited about it. And now I'm like, I'm still excited, but less so, less so, Mm -hmm. I would say. Um, we also got a trailer for Wheel of Time, which is coming to Amazon Studios uh, very soon. Uh, November 19th, I believe, is the release date on that one. I am determined to read the first book of that series before it comes out. It's very long, and the series itself is very long, so I'm like withholding judgment on the trailer. And I know, you know, neither you or I have much to react to the trailer other than, oh, looks cool, Rosamund Pike great um so we'll see if we have more to say there but it looks well produced i'm, I'm excited to, to see that one come out so it yes. could be the next game of thrones that's what everybody keeps saying could be maybe could maybe be. is it set in the same era is that right i know nothing about it i mean it's set in a fantastical fake world so yeah. era is mm-hmm. sort of blurry but i mean the mm-hmm. aesthetic is somewhat similar though a little less rough around the edges than Game of Thrones was. You know, Game of Thrones oh, gotcha. really had the whole, like, medieval 
Arthurian type of vibe to it with the dragons and the castles and whatnot. Wheel of Time looks looks like it's a period piece of sorts, mm-hmm. but but more polished in a way Listen, than aesthetically. You can, call, you can call me a millennial, you can call me a 90s kid all you want, but the only medieval uh, show that I want to watch is a revival of Xena Warrior Princess oh, and Hercules. Boy. That's all I want to see. Um, obviously, I don't think that Lucy Lawless and uh, Kevin Sorbo could return, uh, at least in their respective roles. But sure. we have rebooted everything else. Yeah, I was going to say, has, just wait. It'll why happen. has it not been a discussion yet? That's what's disturbing to me most of all. So you Listen, can have your happen. wheel of time, Cam. Wow. I'm holding out. I'm holding out. I'm going to earmark that for when this show is a massive success and you love it. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna just play that back a thousand times. <laughs> just going to put a little marker here. <laughs> 3705 got it all right <laughs> so yeah we'll we'll talk about that more as things develop last thing i want to do is talk about what to watch for on streaming and in theaters a um, couple of different things hopping into the old streaming services uh the cinderella film that stars camilla cabello is now available on amazon prime video um for better or worse it's out there <laughs> I have not dipped my toes into that water because frankly, the trailer just looks really bad and I hate to do that. But if you don't, it, it's like the Halloween kills trailer. We, we, yeah. I talked to you about, if you can't get good acting in the trailer, that is a really big red flag because that's mm-hmm. supposed to be the best parts of the movie. So, that's right. um, so it's a concern, but if you've seen it, let us know. Maybe it's something that we need to check out so far. It's not on my watch list. I'd rather watch raging bull on my iPad at 2 a.m., um, which I did last night. So, uh, Also to Amazon Prime Video this weekend, The Voyeurs. Uh, Kate is dropping on Netflix this weekend. That stars Mary Elizabeth Winstead. It, feels, it appears to be some sort of action film. I, I know very little about it, so we'll see. Um, Malignant, which is, a, which is a horror film, will be in theaters and on HBO Max this Friday. And The Card Counter, which stars Oscar Isaac and Tiffany Haddish, is dropping in theaters this weekend. It's uh, directed by Paul Schrader, who actually wrote Raging Bull and Taxi Driver. So he's directed a couple films, but really is known more for his work as a writer. But that's that's coming to theaters this weekend, and only in theaters, to be clear. Mm-hmm. Then a uh, couple of existing franchises coming to streaming. Cloverfield is now available on HBO Max. Tomorrowland, starring George Clooney, is now streaming on Disney+. Um, Sam Raimi's Evil Dead trilogy is now streaming on HBO Max. And Don't Breathe 2, which I believe is still in theaters right now, is also yes. available to rent on VOD as one of those like early access prime video cinema, you know, one of those deals. So... If any of that interests you, you now know where to find it. So enjoy. Happy streaming. All right. Anything else, Kirk? Any stories that I missed? The only two things, it's really just uh, new streaming uh, things that I was, that were bubbling in the back of my mind because I watched one and started watching the other is also on Prime. You know, Benedict Cumberbatch is getting a lot of buzz for all of his new films, including Doctor Strange 2, Multiverse of Madness. There's just all this speculation happening. Uh, There's the movie about him being this crazy evil uh, farmhand. Maybe he owns a farm. I don't know what it's about, but that also got like a six minute standing ovation somewhere. Dog. Dog. Yep. The dog has power 
powers, I think. And <laughs> He's a dog. He has powers. That's all you need to know. And he works on a farm. That <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's a film based on a true story. It has to do with the uh, with uh, the World War II. Um, I'm sorry, not not World War II. With the Cuba Missile Crisis, uh, he plays a, a real person uh, called the Courier. Now streaming. Yeah, Amazon. that's right. That's right. Yeah, you gotta. I think he's going for the um, Yahtzee of all the wars. Yeah, that's you right. Know, imitation game, Dunkirk, uh, or no, which one was he in? Dunkirk or 1917? Uh, both, actually. <laughs> no, was he really? <laughs> he was. He was. So yes. he's getting close. Cuban Missile Crisis was, I think, one of those uh, to mark off the list. So Cold War, good, good to go there. Uh, congrats to Mr. Cumberbatch. Yep. Which war is Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? Is that World War Two? Cold War. Cold War. Cold War. All right. Yeah. So he's he's owning the cold. He's got the Cold War owned. He's yeah. got World War Two. We got to get into the Korean War. We got to get into. Well, 1917 <laughs> is World War One. So I it think is. yeah, he needs to get he needs to get involved in Vietnam, which is a primarily American conflict. So he's going to need to put on his best American accent. Yes. Um, then you know something something modern. The, you know the the Gulf War. Uh, the war on terror or something like Iraq, that. Iraq, yeah. Yeah, he's he's got options. He's got some time. I think we'll see him in every single war movie coming out. For sure. Um, and speaking of war, there's also a movie on Netflix called Worth. It stars Michael Keaton. And man, love Michael is Michael Keaton. Keaton just, he continues to impress me. I, it's I about, just love Michael Keaton so much. Oh, my goodness. It's about, uh, just as a, a brief uh, cliff notes, it's about assigning value to the lives lost in the towers uh, on September 11th. Oh, that's right. That's right. 2001. So about halfway into that bad boy, we're, are, we're a couple of days away from the, oh my goodness, the 20th, the 20th anniversary. anniversary. So that, Man. that is wild. That's that wild. Is. So um, I like to watch really, uh, really depressing movies. Yeah, it if sounds you like it. Noticed. That's yeah. good. Um, that's good. Good for you. I'm, I'm happy for you. <laughs> or maybe sad for you. I don't know. Um, but also, Only Murders in the Building. I'm going to plug it, even though we talked about it last yeah. week. It premiered last week. It premiered to a, the largest comedy debut in Hulu history, which, you know, they're like even bigger than Seinfeld. Well, the difference is that Seinfeld was an existing franchise. It wasn't like right. a new premiere. So obviously, people are going to like. This is just consumer behavior, but you know, good for them. I'm, I'm happy for them. I watched the first three episodes. I'm loving it. The, the fourth episode came out today, uh, so we'll see where it goes. But that's one to check out. Only murders in the building on Hulu. All right, let's move on. Let's move. Let's move out of what's popping. Thank you for listening to this episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. Our executive producer is Ryan Spriggs, and our original music is by Rhetoric. You can check them out on Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon Music. We are on Facebook at Popcorn the Number Four Breakfast, as well as Twitter and Instagram at PFB underscore podcast. Check the description to find out how you can connect with us on Discord, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on Twitch. If you like this episode, please subscribe, like, comment, rate, or review. And if you want more, you can find all of our episodes and videos on popcorn the number four breakfast.com. We'll see you next time. Yeah.